Hi, this is Ryan Presley, and you're listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Strohs Across the Globe, the podcast presenting an international view on the Houston Astros, brought to you in association with Apollo, all Houston, all original. I'm George Martin, who you may know particularly from Twitter as at Astros Fans UK. Straight off the back of episode 5, I have another fantastic guest on the show today for you. It was only last weekend when I released the previous episode and it turns out that 5 days in baseball is a long time. Actually, on the basis of today's Astros roller coaster upon recording, it turns out that 2 hours is a long time in baseball. The legendary George Springer did indeed sadly leave the Astros to move on to the Toronto Blue Jays and it looked like Michael Brantley had joined him too, but then in the blink of an eye, one tweet from Mark Berman changed the whole narrative and revealed that Brantley will be an Astro for 2 more years. Truly fantastic news for an Astros fan base and Houston sports fans in general that badly needed a pick-me-up. Still a huge hole left by Springer which needs to be filled to some degree, but you really cannot overstate the importance of Michael Brantley's experience, pedigree and quality remaining part of this ball club's offence. Score one on the board for James Click. Meanwhile, shortly after news of Brantley re-signing broke, I was able to discuss this and so much more with another Houston Astros pitcher, the one and only Ryan Presley. He's been a high-quality reliever for the Astros ever since joining from the Minnesota Twins in 2018, and 2020 presented him with a new challenge when Roberto Osuna's injury pushed him from a late-innings reliever into the season's closer. We discussed the state of Major League Baseball in 2021 and the looming collective bargaining agreement negotiations ahead of 2022, before moving on to the unique experience of playing in the pandemic-abbreviated 2020 season and how having no fans affected players in different ways. We also cover the rookie pitches of the Astros in 2020, working with Martin Maldonado, Carlos Correa's awesome postseason, Framber Valdez's stunning year, and then an in-depth look at working with Brent Strom and Dusty Baker, before reacting to the respective Spring and Brantley news. With a lot packed into the discussion, we also look at Presley's game day routine and training, and how he deals with the most stressful in-game moments. Love the positive feedback for Strohs Across the Globe. I can't emphasize this enough. Please make sure you subscribe, rate and review Strohs Across the Globe on the podcast platform to which you listen to it. If you like what you hear, then please spread the word. The more support this podcast gets, the more I can keep getting these awesome guests on the show for you all. Without any further ado, it's time to listen to my chat with a superb Ryan Presley. We get through a lot here and with him not being the most high profile person when it comes to interviews, I feel privileged and I'm truly excited for you to hear it. Okay, hot on the heels of last week, I'm lucky enough to be joined by another truly special guest on Strohs Across the Globe. Yes, that's right, another current Houston Astro coming out of the bullpen, the holder of Major League Baseball's most consecutive scoreless appearances record, the one and only Mr. Ryan Presley. Thank you enormously for joining me on the show. As always, only one place to begin. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's it's an absolute pleasure. Are you in Houston at the moment? No, I'm I am up in the Dallas area right now. My wife is she's down in Houston right now, kind of getting the house all ready and stuff for the season. But I'm still up here just working out and throwing. Cool. How are things there? I have to touch on the subject. How are things there, COVID-wise? Because I have to tell you, over here in the UK, it's not pleasant. It's really, really grim. I hate to have to start off on a bit of a low note, but how are things over there? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's pretty similar to, to how you guys are right now. It, they, I think the cases are rising. I, I don't really follow it too much. Mm-hmm. I, 
it, it's kind of depressing. So it depresses me. You know, I don't, I don't feel like being depressed all day. And I feel like that's the way 2020 went just in general in the world. So, um, but yeah, I think it's just, everything is kind of increasing like it is over there. So it's, it's not good. <laughs> you guys have like a lockdown or anything like that? Cause we have that here and the message that kind of comes across on social media is that it's not quite the same in America. I don't know if that's true or not. Is that accurate? I mean, I'm, we're not on lockdown, but I, like I said, I don't really follow it too in depth yeah. to give you accurate numbers or anything like that. So <laughs> nod my head and smile and, and move along is what I do usually. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it because I absolutely agree. It is very depressing just looking at numbers that are ever rising. Let's move on to how have you been spending your off-season? How's training going? It's going good. Um, you know, getting everything all cleaned up. Uh, haven't gotten off the mountain quite yet, but, uh, you know, getting the arm back in shape is always a fun task. Uh, you get to pick the ball up and start playing catch again and and get to enjoy all the aches and pains back in your arm uh, to get everything. <laughs> <laughs> to get everything going but for the most part it's uh it's been a good off season training wise and i'm uh, i'm looking forward to getting down to spring and and getting out in florida with nice weather definitely i can imagine what kind of training do you do at the moment when you're getting yourself back in well pre-season shape what, what sort of stuff will you do oh uh, well really i gotta have a my my trainer uh john simon really <laughs> he works me like a horse um you know i'm always Mm. mumbling cuss words under my breath as I pass it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he, we do a lot of, uh, a lot of legs and a lot of st- stability, stability stuff, um, to keep the shoulder, um, I guess in shape and everything like that. It, he's got a whole bunch of bags of tricks to, that he brings out every single day I see him. So it's new every day. <laughs> That's good to hear. I mean, I'm always interested to hear how players ramp up for the season. I think it's particularly applicable in this year, looking at how 2020 went with the way that spring training started, then that stopped, and then you had a long gap, and then you had spring training two, which started in a bit of a rushed format, and then you had a ton of pitches which suffered injuries, and that was really, in my opinion, one of the main stories within the actual baseball season itself in 2020. I mean, what was it like for you playing in that COVID abbreviated season? Uh, I can tell you one thing. I miss the fans. Um, yeah. Uh, you you feed a lot off their energy that's in the stadium. And, and anybody who's been to a postseason game and, and Minute made and, you know, has felt the, the vibe that comes with postseason atmosphere, you know, it, it definitely gives you an adrenaline boost. And, you know, some of those aches and pains that you normally feel are, are gone for the time that you're out there. So to not have the fans um, – you know, it was, it wasn't fun, <laughs> you know, but I mean, to, to play throughout the season like that was, I mean, I think 60 games was as good, as good as you're going to get with um, how many injuries had came out of this year with everybody trying to ramp up as fast as they can and, and trying to get ready for the season. And, and on top of that, not, you know, having any kind of adrenaline, you know, I think you saw a lot more guys get hurt this year. Yeah. I think it was strange. The whole vibe was a bit surreal. Did you find that it had a different effect than not being fans on different players? Because naturally, with the amount of rookies that we had coming through that were almost forced into the spotlight by the situation with Justin Verlander having gone down and then Roberto Asuna having gone down, did you find that different players thrived and different players struggled with it? Oh, definitely. You know, I, I do think that there's guys who, like I said, feed off that adrenaline from the crowd. Um, you know, they love being in that spotlight of a moment and 
to not, you know, have that atmosphere there. It also, you know, it's a double-edged sword where it benefits the younger guys who have never played in front of a crowd bigger than, you know, some really nice minor league stadiums might have 20,000 people on a holiday, 4th of July weekend or something like that. Um, and that's being super generous, uh, you know. So, I mean, I think at the most you might play in front of <laughs> 10 to 15 on a regular night. So, not to have a come up and play in the big leagues and being able to slow the game down and, and not have, you know, the pressure of the fans screaming at you. I think that definitely helps as a, as a rookie, but I do also think that it, some guys definitely struggled, not, you know, like you hear, you know, you don't really hear anything. I mean, I guess you hear something, but it's not like the white noise that you normally hear. So you're kind of in your head a little bit more. Um, So yeah, it, it messed with some people, but at the same time, it benefited a lot of people. Was there any can noise of, of crowd sounds in the ballparks? Because I, there was on the TV feed, and I couldn't tell at times if it was actually being played in the ballparks or was just being played for the TV audience. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. You know, you would, they would have white noise or crowd noise, I guess, playing. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, as soon as there was a hit, it was almost like a five-second delay when then it's like a, <laughs> like a, an immediate reaction. Um, so it was kind of funny on some things, but um it just like i said it just wasn't the same it was really weird were players worried obviously with the situation surrounding everything outside of baseball i mean you had players understandably opting out the season joe smith being an example were players slightly sort of treading lightly during the season was it a distraction that kind of took away from the actual action or were players able to to kind of compartmentalize and focus on the ball games you know i think uh i guess it just kind of depends on who you who you talk to. Um, but for me, you know, I like to, after a game or a bad game or whatever, I, I'd like to kind of just be able to go outside and maybe go have some late night dinner with my wife or something. But yeah. you, know, you couldn't do that during the season. And, you know, you, you get done with a game and you go straight back to your hotel room. Um, you know, some guys like to, you know, just play a game and then go back and play video games in their room. Other guys, you know, they need to, get out of a confinement of four walls, you know? So um, it was, I guess for me, uh, there were some times I enjoyed it. And then sometimes I was like, I really wish I could go like walk outside right now. Yeah. You know, being in Seattle when everything was really crazy or California, like you you just couldn't do it. And, you know, I mean, you just kind of have to sit there and wear it, I guess. But it, it just depends on, on what guys do in the hotel room, I guess, you know, but for me, I don't play video games. So I, I would like, <laughs> like to go walk around or, you know, get some air, but you know, that was virtually impossible. Yeah. I mean, when you were in the bubble, so to speak, was it just a case of literally going out to the ballpark to the hotel room, you're done. And then the same rinse and repeat the next day. Pretty much. Yeah. Gosh. It, was, uh, it was, I mean, you could walk, the places that they had set us up in were both resorts and you could definitely walk around if you really wanted to. Yeah. However, you couldn't, you know, obviously go do what you wanted. You know, you just have to stay in the confinement of the resort. Um, and there was limited options, but you know, you could still go out and move around. And, um, I think it got a lot better, um, in the postseason, being able to, you know, to move around and, and that stuff. Mm-hmm. But during the, but during the season, you know, it was you didn't want to catch it because you thought you were going to give it to some of your teammates, and then, then you have to shut down a couple games, and you just didn't want to be that guy. So I think a lot more guys kind of stayed in during the season. 
It makes a lot of sense. There were a number of teams, I think the Marlins and the Cardinals in particular, had some real troubles with sort of swathes of games being cancelled due to players testing positive. Moving on to this year, how confident are you we'll get 162 games played in 2021? You say how confident are we? Yeah, how confident are you that a full 162-game season will get played in 2021? Uh, well, I mean, we're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, You know, I, I like to be optimistic about it and hope that we can do it. Um, you know, but it's just, I don't know, we're going to see what happens with everything and, you know, how, I guess, the world kind of pans out in this whole pandemic thing. You know, if something else happens, you know, I could see them shutting it, shutting the season back down. But if everything, you know, I guess we can prove that we can all stay healthy and play baseball, yeah. I think the owners are, are going to allow us to play. But, you know, I, like I said, I just nod my head and smile and tell where I'm get told where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. I think with the subject of 2021 at hand, naturally thoughts move ahead to beyond the season as well. I don't know how much involvement players really have in terms of talking about it, but do you have concerns, that, do you share the concerns that fans have ahead of 2022 with the collective bargaining agreement coming up for renewal? Are those worries realistic after the sort of off-seasons we've had in the past two, three years? Um, I, I definitely think that there are hurdles that we are going to, you know, obviously face um mm. owners and players um you know it's just a matter of if we can just get both sides to agree and and you know i honestly i don't know the exact details of what would happen or how it happens um yeah. I, just, I do think that you know we'll there will be an agreement i i think that there will be baseball in in 2022 you know i mean i just it'd just be it'd be really bad if there just wasn't any baseball you know with I mean, we've already gotten shut down with a pandemic, and now that we're just going to go and not play baseball because both sides are at each other's throats, um, you know, it's just it's not fun for anybody. So I, I think something will get done. Yeah, it would seem highly counterproductive on both sides if, like I said, on the back of what's happened with the pandemic. I really do hope, and I'm sure I speak for all fans here, that there can be a, a common ground found because at the end of the day, we all love the sport and that's what we're here for. I mean, I, I think it really does bear down to being as simple as that. Not to have a go at Major League Baseball too much, but I wonder what your views were on the minor league contraction. And obviously, every player comes up through the minors and has that unique experience and to see what was it 40 plus teams that have been contracted what do you think the impact on the game is going to be in respect of that you know you, you definitely hate to see some of these minor league teams or these cities lose these minor league teams mm. uh, you know i've had some of my best memories uh in the minor leagues you know you you're living with you know six or seven guys in a in a two bedroom apartment and you're trying to save as much money but you that's where you make a lot of the a lot of your memories and in these small little towns that you get to go see that you would never even hear of you know going to like a big city like chicago or something but you know you a lot of these people are not going to you know have summer baseball and that's you know that's summer jobs for a lot of these people in these towns and you know to not have them around is definitely going to affect, you know, people outside of baseball. And I think it's going to affect a lot of uh, people in baseball. A lot of guys are not going to have very many opportunities now. Um, you know, you see a lot of guys who are, you know, 20th to 30th, 40th rounders who just, you know, need a little bit of luck to get through the minor leagues and get to the big leagues. And mm -hmm now that you're taking some of those pathways away from them, it's just going to be that much more difficult for them to get to the big leagues. Um, however, you know, I, 
it just it's one of those things that it happens and you know unfortunately hopefully we can get it changed back you know i would like to see some of these minor league uh teams come back but that's way out of my pay grade i don't know how to <laughs> you know i just like i said it's just it, it's a shame to to see some of these teams get you know taken away it just seems so counterproductive. I mean, you, you're taking baseball away from communities. You're taking baseball away, like you said, from large swathes of the country because America is not a small place and it needs that, as far as I'm concerned as a fan, it needs that lifeblood from a grassroots level to actually kind of feed the national, you know, and therefore international interest in the game. I just can't get my head around the logic behind it. It seems like cutting off your nose to spite your face from a baseball point of view and it pains me even thinking about it because I speak to so many people here who've had great experiences going to the States and experiencing minor league baseball and obviously talking to yourself, talking to some of the other people that I've had on the show in early parades, Tony Kemp, Jeff Blum. It's, it, everyone seems to be pretty unanimous on the view that it just doesn't really make sense from a baseball perspective. And I, I really hope that we're not looking at a sort of downward slope in terms of the way minor league baseball is treated. It's just a frustrating subject to even have to talk about. This is a big question. Before we move on to the Astros this year, kind of on the back of the CBA discussion and the minor league contraction, do you think, this is a very big question, do you think Major League Baseball, as it stands right now, is in a better place or worse place than it was 10 years ago? And I know it's a fairly arbitrary time period that I've just put on there, but do you think it's better off or worse off than it was previously? Man, that's a good question. I... Are you talking about just number-wise or everything? I mean, I guess you could look at the play. I mean, obviously, it varies from individual to individual, but you can have the quality of the baseball product itself on the field, and also just the general, the pipeline, the experience, anything that you you kind of want to focus on and could kind of judge it by. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think it's getting a lot more advanced. Um, you know, everybody's looking at saber metrics now, and yep. um, they're finding different ways to to judge pitchers and judge hitters on, you know, obviously exit velocity and spin rate and all this other kind of stuff. Mm. So, um, you know, I, it's definitely gotten a lot more tech savvy, uh, for my liking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fact, cause I don't normally like now you see all these different stats and everything and I'm asking questions in the dugout and trying to figure out how this works and that works. So, you know, I just, you know, it, it's getting to the point now where a lot of guys are, you know, or in the batting cage and, you know, they're, they're like, okay, well, that's got to be more of a 28 degree launch. Yeah, angles, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, just swing the bat, man. And if you hit it hard, you hit it hard, you know? So that's just me. But, you know, I do think uh, a lot of guys are using different ways to, to get a, a, a better way to judge and get scouting reports on people. So yeah, it's getting a lot more advanced for sure. Okay, that's interesting that you brought that up, and I'll slightly switch the order I was going to discuss things. What are you judged on performance by performance? Like, how are your performances analyzed? So you come off the mound, you, you, let's just say you throw, you pitched, let's just say you pitched the eighth inning in a game, you come out, you come into the dugout, and what do you do? You're then, you're then watching the video of your performance that you've just had, or is it a case of no, we just, we'll have a look at it tomorrow? And also, what are the kind of performance markers that you're judged on? Is it a combination of everything? Is, is it your spin rate? Is it your exit velocity? Is it something else? I don't know. What do you get judged on? You know, I mean, front office and coaches are going to judge you one way. And then obviously you're going to judge yourself. I think mm. every guy is going to be their biggest critic. Um, really, however, I get my answers is from Maldonado or whoever's catching, you know, I think... Yeah. Maldonado has a great baseball mind and he's a 
an unbelievable person to have behind the plate who can call a game. So if I'm, you know, if I just miss off a corner or if I, you know, my curveball is just not spinning as good as it normally is or, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, that's who I talk to rather than going to look at film or cause he's got the best view of anything, any camera, anything possible. I mean, he's, he's receiving the ball. So, I mean, that's who I get my information from and, you know, I trust him with everything. So that's how I judge myself on uh, performance. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys will, as soon as the game is over before, I mean, I don't even think they're out of their uniform yet. And they're, they're in the video room studying their swing or studying a pitch that they've been working on or whatever the case might be. So guys are different. Some guys won't even watch film. They'll just, you know, put it in the back of their mind and go mm. on to the next day. Is there a fair bit of freedom then to analyze it to that extent how you want to? You're not forced, like, you're not going to get told, right, you need to sit down and watch this on the video for the next hour. You, you could be sort of not left to your own devices, but you are given the freedom to kind of work yourself in a way that you feel comfortable. Would that be correct? Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, like, you, you're your, if you want to stay in the big leagues, you're going to have to learn to make adjustments. And yeah. You are striking out on a slider over and over and over and over again, and you're not showing that you're going to make an adjustment. Well, then you're just going to show everybody else that you can't make this adjustment. So you're going to get sent down to AAA or the case on the released or whatever. So if you want to get better and make adjustments, yeah, you are going to figure out a way to receive advice from somebody or whether that being you working on something by yourself, but you are going to have to eventually make adjustments. I think, you know, that is the one thing that they teach us more than anything is <laughs> you got to learn, yeah. learn how to make adjustments quick. So definitely. You mentioned working with Martin Maldonado, and I thought from an outside perspective, he really came into his own in 2020. He had a fantastic season, really looked like a leader out there. And hearing what you said about how he was able to help you in terms of judging how you were pitching as well with, with obviously having the best view in the house. How is it working with Maldonado? He, he, comes, he looks like a really great team guy. Yeah, he, you know, he's definitely one of those veteran guys that you love having in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much time in the big leagues you have, he'll wear you out. But, you know, that's just his personality. And it's, it's one of the best personalities in our clubhouse. But to have him, you know, once he puts on the pads and gets right behind the plate, it's, it's a business and, and it's a job. And you go out there and you better take your job seriously. Um, you know, and having him back there, he could have a whole scouting report before the game, but you know, if certain, like I said, going back to making adjustments, if yeah, the other guys yeah. make adjustments, he knows how to adjust to that scouting report on the fly. And you know, it's hard to watch a game from the bullpen, so we have to, as soon as we see a pitch, we have to look up at the radar board, radar board, and be like, oh, okay, that was a slider. We can't even tell from the bullpen. Um, yeah. So certain hitters might be sitting on that pitch that day. I don't know, whatever the case may be, but Maldi just knows how to manage the game and slow the game down for younger guys on top of managing the field and, and moving guys around, sending signals around the infield and whatnot. So he's, his mind is moving a thousand times a minute. It's, it's pretty impressive how he goes about his business. So to have him back there, is, it's, it's a really nice relationship for sure. Yeah, I think that really did come across even through watching 
on the screen, you could tell that the pitchers as a unit really did gel with him and needed him out there. When he had that injury scare before October, it was a real sort of heart and mouth moment. And that's not that's no disrespect to the other catchers at the Astros. But if he had been out, that would have been a real big blow ahead of moving into that postseason. Talking about the 2020 season, I touched upon it earlier and the various pitcher injuries. Obviously, Verlander went down, more specifically impacting you, Osuna went down. And your role was kind of changed by default. You had to step up and uh, and work as a closer rather than as this kind of more eighth inning setup guy to get to whoever's closing. How did you find it as an experience being not day in, day out, but a regular closer in the major leagues? How did you find it different from your normal job at the bullpen? Well, I mean, there's really there's really no difference. Um, it's it's only different if you if you make it different. You know, if you mm-hmm. obviously put pressure on yourself in the ninth inning, um, you know, it, it is going to be difficult for you to succeed, but you know, you got to get 27 outs no matter which way you do it. Um, whether that being in the fifth inning or being in the ninth inning. Um, I just, you know, I just took the ball whenever my, whenever my name was, uh, called and, um, it was definitely frustrating at the beginning of the season because like you feel when you blow a save, you feel like you let your team down and, and that's always a really crappy feeling. So you try to work on things as best as you possibly can and, and push it out of your mind. So I guess that would be the only thing is whenever you blow a save, it's it's not fun. It's a, re- it's a real low moment in that night for you. But Yeah, I can imagine. You come back the next day and you, know, you have to have short-term memory. So I guess that would be the only thing that you know, would change from my eighth inning role to the ninth inning role. Could you see a future as being closer? In an, when I say future, I mean as in this season. At the moment, as it stands, the club having added Ryan Stanek buyers as well, but not any of the slightly more well, high-profile closers that were out there, which I think the fans, I, I, obviously we can't speak from an executive level because we're not involved in those discussions, but for the fans, we're looking at some of the high-profile closers that were on the market and most of which have gone. At the moment, I'm guessing it would be dependent on the game situation. You'd have a, a mixture of yourself and early Paredes and maybe one of those other relievers that just mentioned to fill that closer role. Is that something you'd be comfortable with doing again for 2021? Is it just a case of, you know, like I said, if you're asked, you'll do it? Or is there, or, or would you prefer to move back to your kind of normal position, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely comfortable pitching in the closer role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, ever since I've been over to the Astros, it's been almost like every time I've been in a game, it's been a, either a really crappy situation that you got to have to get out of or <laughs> yeah. you're in an extremely co- close game and you, and you got to face three, four, five or one, two, three, whatever, whoever's mm-hmm. up. Um, so, you know, the, the big outs, as long as, you know, like I said, as long as we get 27 outs, don't matter which way we can do it. And we got the end, uh, the lead by the end of the game. I think everybody's happy. So I, w- I don't have a problem being a closer, it's just, you know, I think we have plenty of guys in the bullpen now who have gotten big outs and big games, and, and they can definitely step in the closer role if, you know, if we need to switch everything up or whatever the yeah. case So I, I think Dusty's going to have his kind of fair share of who, who he wants to use down there and not really have to think about it. Mm. One of the other spotlights that kind of was a knock-on effect of the injuries was the exciting group of pitching rookies that we have being thrust into the spotlight to kind of deal with a variety of different situations. And as I mentioned, I was lucky enough to have an early Paredes on the show last week, and he name-checked you twice to say that you were particularly helpful in terms of offering that experience. What was it like to be 
on that kind of other end of the spectrum being the you know you're not you're not an old guy by any means yeah <laughs> but um but yeah. to, to, to be the more experienced more veteran guide compared to these youngsters who were coming through how enjoyable was that what sort of advice did you give to them oh i mean it definitely made me feel old down there my goodness um, <laughs> but yeah it you know having uh, and a lot of people don't understand is a lot of these guys who were in our bullpen were all starters um you know javier and yeah yeah and Paredes was a starter at, at one point, I think, um, you know, a Bray, I think a Bray was a starter. Um, so a lot of these guys were, you know, were starters. And then all of a sudden you have to learn on the job in the big leagues of coming out of the bullpen and pitching with a guy on third base and, and one out, you know, you don't have the luxury of getting in a groove after the second inning or the third inning, whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, for them to, take on the role what they did especially Paredes and, and Javier and and you know I mean all of them Blake Taylor and Scrubby all these guys had really good years um, and I was really proud of them you know because they you know there'd be one day where you know things didn't really go their way and then they'd come out to the bullpen you know pretty much asking for the ball and you know to have that in a lot of these young guys just shows that they're not they're not scared of the situation or or who's at the plate and you know I tell them all the time it was like it, it doesn't matter who that guy that guy might be a 300 million dollar player but he puts his pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else so you know I mean unless that dude's hitting a thousand it's still gonna have success if you execute your pitches and just don't let the game speed up on you if you need to step off step off but you know it was just really the basic things that you know, I learned coming up through the, you know, once I got to the big leagues, you know, I had a guy named Jared Burton who took me under his wing and Anthony Swarzak, um, yeah. both of these guys out of, out of bullpens, you know, they've taught me how to, Hey man, like this is the way you have to do things. This, this is how you have to warm up. This is how you have to throw during your throwing program. You know, you, you can mix in, like you just take bits and pieces of everybody's, uh, routine and and that, i think that was the hardest part for the younger guys was just figuring out what their routine was going into the bullpen and you know i didn't figure out mine until probably about four or five years into the big leagues mm. uh, so for them to just grasp the the concept of i i threw one inning any day i might have to throw another inning tomorrow so to limit my throwing pro- throwing program the next day would probably be a good idea so with how they went about doing that and, you know, not having any bullpen experience was was uh, impressive to watch, for sure. Definitely. I think it's a real bright spot on last year, which gives us a lot of reasons to be positive going forward. I'm thrilled to see the, the further development of uh, well, all of them, to be honest, but particularly Christian Javier and Anneli Paredes, I think, uh, in particular, will be ones to watch. It was always an excitement team and kind of explode on on the mound out there just trying to take the game by the sort of scruff of the neck and attack the hitters that they were facing it was great to watch continuing with the 2020 focus what was it like watching Carlos Correa step up as this club captain figure and just absolutely well I don't know he just picked the whole team up and put them on his shoulders to be honest in October that must have been something special to see in the flesh from watching from afar it was pretty awe-inspiring Oh man, it was uh, it was definitely something, you know, and and watching him, 
you know, kind of evolve into that role right in front of our eyes. It was, uh, you know, for obviously for Houston um, fans who have seen Carlos come all the way up to the minor leagues and see him yeah. take a step um, on a big stage in the ALCS um, and pretty much throughout the postseason. Uh, he, you know, it suits him well. You know, he's a, I respect Carlos, um, you know, on and off the field. He's just a great human being and, yeah. you know, how he goes about his business and how he goes about his day and how he does his routine. You know, it, it just shows you, it, it's a good example for guys who are coming up to the big leagues to watch him, how he goes about his stuff. So he, um, you know, like I said, to watch him, you know, kind of diffuse that situation that happened between us and Tampa and Framer and, and, yeah. um, it, it it just shows you how mature he's he's getting, and and it was uh, it was exciting to see for sure. So hopefully he can definitely take that into this coming year and and just build on that and keep building on it. Yeah, I mean if if he's healthy, I mean honestly, there's a monster waiting to erupt in there. Like he's mentioned with that moment with Framber Valdez, that was really it looked like not that he hadn't matured at all before that, but it looked like the moment Carlos Correa really sort of became a man to coin a sort of cliche. It was just so great to see. I really do hope he builds on it. And speaking of Framber Valdez, how about the season which he had? You know, that was pretty awe-inspiring and pretty breathtaking in its own right because, no disrespect to him, he pitched in a way which I don't know if, as a fan, we were aware that he was capable of pitching and he looked like a, a genuine ace out there, uh, for, especially in October. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see what he's got in store coming forward. I know that he had seen a full psychologist in between the year 2019 and 2020. Did you notice much different about his kind of demeanour? He just looked awesome out there. I th- I'm, yeah, he did. I mean, it was really impressive to watch. I I enjoyed it every time. He, I mean, he's always a trip anyways to watch him in the clubhouse <laughs> and how he goes about his business. Um, he's always <laughs> singing and dancing. So, um, you know, I think he was just being himself. You know, he loosened up a little bit and, um, you know, he just wanted to have fun out on the mountain. And when, you know, when he's got the ball, he's, he's like a bulldog out there. He's going to come after you. And I... I was, I was, in, I, I really enjoyed watching him throw this year, and and like like Carlos, I hope he can build on uh, you know the success that he had this year, and and keep building, and and eventually maybe coming into one of those aces that you know everybody can see after the season that he just had, and like mm. I said, he can build on it this year. Absolutely, I think he has much to be proud of and much to look forward to as well. One thing I wanted to talk about was working with Brent Strom because, again, from the outside, he is a magician and he seems to work wonders on almost every picture that he comes across. When you joined the Astros from the Twins, what were your initial impressions of working with Brent and what is his general approach to pitching in terms of what he will say to you? Uh, Well, Stromy is, you know, he's very old school, but at the same time, he knows how to break down the analytics for pitchers mm. and learning how like all right this mean x means this y means this and you know we think that your pitch that you have right here plays at a higher level than what you've been using it at so you need to throw it a little bit more you need to not throw this pitch anymore um so he he knows how to translate that i guess into a baseball terminology to where we can understand however put it out on the field and learn every single day on how to make that pitch even better if mm. that makes sense no, definitely, uh, yeah. but he definitely knows um you know he can see you from on the other side of the field if 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 your mechanics are a little jacked up and you know i, I would hear him 
or not hear him, but I can kind of just see him moving over every time I would start throwing. And by the time I get done throwing, he was all the way behind me. And he's just, he's like, yeah, I think you, I think your hips are just flying open just a little bit. We'll work on it. No big deal. And, you know, he's just a really, a calm person um, when we're all throwing and it's just, he knows how to, like I said, he knows how to relay and break everything down for you to where you can understand. So, um, but it, like I said, he's got that old school mentality, so he knows how to approach pitchers and, mm. and talk to you in a way where, you know, some guys wouldn't, I guess, but I really enjoy working with Strami. He's definitely helped me out tremendously. Yeah, I think it was a huge boost when, I can't remember exactly when it was announced that he was staying for another year. I think all the fans were delighted to see that. I mean, I'm guessing from what you've said there, and the impression I get is that he has a great degree of flexibility for someone who is kind of of the older generation in terms of how he handles from player to player. I'm guessing that he's able to adapt his approach to make it work for different individuals because you're going to have some who are, like you said, more kind of cerebral pitchers who think about things a lot, others who try and be more, not free and easy, but try and be a bit more relaxed I guess that he's able to kind of amend his approach and change it to suit the picture if that makes sense definitely cool a few questions about working with Dusty Baker because obviously Dusty was new for the club last year what were the major sort of main differences in style between him and AJ Hinch I'm sure that you know there's more than one way to skin a cat and I'm sure that they're very different in terms of how they get things done but what did you notice were the major differences in setup well honestly I feel like I feel like Dusty was kind of not learning on the fly, but I, I feel like he, he kind of got thrusted in a position to where, you know, he's like, I, I guess we just need to keep doing this. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a good team as it is. So he didn't really have to mess with the lineup too much. Um, mm. But working with Dusty, you know, he's, man, that guy's got stories for days. And, you know, I, I wish one at one point in time I could sit down and talk to him all day about the stuff that he's been <sighs> and stuff like that. But, um, when it comes to to baseball and and this past year, I think everybody was uh, it was just such a jacked up year. You know, I mean, mm. no matter, I mean, I guess that's the life of a manager. No matter what you do, you're going to get blamed for something. Um, so, you know, he just kind of went. Um, I guess uh, he got he got the analytics and we got the old school vibe and and trying to mesh it. It it was it worked. And, you know, having Dusty down there who can relate to to the guys who are coming up to the big leagues and how, you know, Hank Aaron took him under his wing and stuff like that. You know, it just I can only imagine. Yeah, it was uh, it was. Yeah, it was it was fun to have him around for sure. I was going to ask actually, if speaking of his stories, uh, were there, sorry to put you on the spot, but were there any kind of bakerisms, like any uh, particular advice or stories that you can remember specifically that he brought up? If not, don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's oh, he's definitely got some some sayings for sure, but probably some that are probably off off air content. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. How much involvement does he have with the pitching setup? So obviously you've got Strom, who's kind of leading the armory, if you like, of everyone that all the pitchers. But who's actually making the calls mainly in terms of during the game? Does Dusty have? Is it him who's saying right? I want this guy in now, or is it Strom saying to him? you know, it's time to make a change or I think this is the right situation to use X pitcher. How does it work or does it change dependent on game scenarios? You know, I think it's a, a it's, I think it's a group decision, obviously, like between, there's conversation between um, Dusty and Strami and yeah. we're down in the bullpen. Um, and there's also communication between us before the game as well. Um, you know, they could come up to me and be like, hey, you, 
you're not going to throw tonight. You've thrown three days in a row. You're down tonight. So that's when conversation comes about in the, in the dugout of who we're going to use in this situation, who we're going to use in that situation. So, um, you know, I think they bounce ideas off each other and then Stromy will call them down to Miller and they'll bounce ideas off each other. And then I think it just ultimately becomes a, a, a group decision of, yeah, I think we all agree on using this guy in this situation. Um, you know, and then sometimes it's, Hey, we got to get this guy and got him, get him up and got to get him going. We got to get him in there. And you know, that's the way it goes sometimes, but that's the life of a bullpen. <laughs> yeah. No, like you said, adapt on the, on the fly in terms of within games. No, definitely. A question which I was wondering is how far in advance are pitching preparations made? Like, for example, let's just say you're going into a series, three-game series. Are you kind of tabbed to say, right, I think you're going to be pitching? Obviously, it can change on on the day depending on the game. But ahead of the series, are you sort of tabbed to say you can pitch in game one and two but not three? Or you're going to pitch in game one and game three, then you're going to pitch in the first game of the next series and, and not that one? Or is it a case of, no, you can't, you just can't plan that far ahead? No, you can't really plan that far ahead. Um, it's just more of, you know, if we've been in a lot of close games, um, you know, that's when some of these younger guys are going to have to step into some big roles. And that's obviously what they did this past year. But um, you can't plan that far out ahead. I wish you could, but um, yeah. it, it doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. No, it makes sense. Moving on to your specific kind of in-game and pre-game routines, what does it look like for you on, on a game day? What's your typical sort of routine and how do you prepare for, for a ball game? Well, really, um, you know, I just show up to the field. Uh, you know, if there's any sort of aches and pains, uh, try to go get that worked out as <laughs> fast as I possibly can. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of stretching, a lot of rolling out, um, but for the most part, it's really on how I feel that day. There's some days where I haven't thrown in four or five days, and I might, you know, stretch it out to 160 feet. And then there's days where I've gone three out of four days or four out of six, and um, you know, I might play catch out to like 60 feet and really just kind of take it. I really just listen to my body and yeah. go about doing it that way. And instead of I have to throw this far, I have to do it today. I have to do it when you know, your, your routine needs to adjust accordingly. Um, I'm not saying it needs to get out of whack, but I think there are certain things where you're going to have to take out and then certain things you're going to have to add throughout, you know, the course of the season. So um, it varies, but for the most part, it's just how I feel that day, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that leads to a question which I was wondering about. In-season training, I've always wondered how you guys manage to juggle traveling playing, training, recuperating, etc. Is it again, is it just a case of being prepared to adapt on the day or do you try and plan out your I mean I guess I guess being a reliever is it's more difficult than being, say, for example, being a starter because your routines are going to be chopping and changing dependent on whether you're pitching or not, whereas obviously for a starter it's going to be much more regimented. How do you manage to handle that? Is it just a case of you just got to be able to adapt? How do you kind of handle in season training? Yeah, uh, some guys, you know, some guys like to lift during the season and some guys don't like to touch weights at all. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, someday, like like I said, it just kind of depends on how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll mix in some leg workouts. I very rarely do upper body. I don't like getting super tight in, in yeah. my upper body. But, um, you know, some guy, like if you haven't thrown, um, you should probably, you'll probably get a lift in after the game. Um some guys like to lift before games. I, I was never a guy that liked to lift and then 
you know, go sit in the bullpen and, and be all jelly legged or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. So I just, um, you know, like I said, it's just one of those things where you just have to kind of play with your routine and see how you're feeling that day. But I, I've seen a mixture of both guys. I've seen guys who ride the bike for hours on end, and I see guys who don't touch a weight ever, and then I see guys who lift the house. And <laughs> and it's just, I, it's just all depends on how you feel and if you like the way your body feels taking the ball that day. Yeah. When you're lifting – are you what sort of rep schemes are you looking at? Are you looking at kind of are you looking to do uh, lower reps or high reps or ha- high sets with low reps? I don't know how to how you, you juggle it. I think you definitely obviously want to feel something after your workout, but at mm-hmm. the same time you don't want to be too sore. So uh, it's a game that you play with your body on. On am I going to be too sore to pitch tonight? Then I should probably yep. stop. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, that make that makes perfect sense. Something which I'm very interested to know is in game. How do you stay calm? Let's picture the scene. It's it's a postseason. It's let's just imagine a, a pre-COVID world for a moment. It's full. It's Yankee Stadium. You're out there. Everyone is willing you to put a mistake pitch in there and cost your team the game. How do you manage to keep calm mentally? What do you? How do you do it? What do you tell yourself? I don't know. You're getting jacked up thinking about it right now. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, you just have to really just step off the mound and. You know, collect your thought of like, hey, <laughs> this is just a game. You know, it's it's the same game you've been playing since you were a kid. It's just a lot more people here. It's just a lot noisier, and it's on TV. But for the most part, you still got to throw the ball over the plate, and you still got to get a guy out. So don't make the situation any bigger than it needs to be. Um, and, you know, if you step off the mound and just, just enjoy the moment that you're in, I think that you'll kind of be at peace with yourself out there and, and be able to kind of clear your mind and deliver a, a good quality pitch. But um, it's hard to think in the Bronx, though, when, when it's that loud, to be honest yeah. with you. So <laughs> it, it's so loud sometimes that it ends up being deafening and then you really can't hear anything. So that's always uh, a good thing, too. So, I mean, I – for me, I just step off the mound and, and just kind of like take a deep breath and collect my thoughts. And and once that ball releases out of your hand, there's really nothing you can do about it. So just bef- you can do everything before that pitch. So try to clear your mind and, and getting the best place that you possibly be before you can deliver a quality pitch. What's the hot, most pressure you've ever felt on the mound? Can you remember if there's a particular game where you think, wow, looking back, that was just insane? Yeah, I think it would definitely be the the ALCS game in in 2019 when the bases were loaded. Um, I came in after Grinky and um, I walked uh, Aaron Hicks, and then that game four. Yes, I that was probably <laughs> the one game where I look back. And I'm like, golly, that was that was fun, but at the same time, <laughs> it's, your your nerves are you're shaking after the game. <laughs> so much, but. Yeah, that was probably the game. That was an incredible series. I don't want to dwell on it, but I still lose sleep over 2019. I, I can't believe that it didn't happen. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just don't want to. I just don't want to talk about that. What I do want to talk about before talking about 2021 is the 40 game scoreless appearances streak when you broke the record, major league record. First off, how did that feel, and how did it feel when you were in that run? Because you kind of looked invincible at the time. Yeah, um, man, it's it's a it's a good question. I just you know. 
it's one of those things where you're not really thinking about anything. Um, and there were a couple of point in time where I was on the mound and I would, in my mind, I would just laugh because I knew the guy at the plate stood no chance. And, <laughs> and when you have that kind of mentality on the mound, you're going to be extremely successful. And, and every single time I took the ball, it felt like I was untouchable. And, you know, and when I broke that record in, in Fenway, it was, I don't know, everything always ends up in Fenway. I get my first win there and I, I get my, I make my date or not, not my debut, but, um, my win and then that record. So, uh, to do it there, it was, it was always, it was pretty, pretty fun. But I, like I said, I can't really explain it. It was just, everything was easy. I, I don't know. Mm. You just, no, I know not, what you mean. I, I know what you mean. You often hear athletes talking about when it's kind of like almost an automatic pilot where it's just happening and it's just, it kind of becomes perpetual motion and success breeds success. I know exactly what you mean. Was it difficult to adjust after the run ended? No, I, I don't think it was difficult. I mean, it, um, if you, you're going to give up a run eventually, you know, yeah, so yeah. it's a matter of time. Um, but and, and to give it up to Jackie Bradley Jr., a guy that I came up in the minor leagues with, um, mm. you know, I mean, he he knocked the crap out of it. I know that. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's, it wasn't hard to adjust afterwards. It was just, it was kind of sad when it ended, though, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. It was great watching it. And, you know, here's to another run starting. So um, fingers crossed for, for this year. Moving on to 2021. What a bittersweet day today will go down as amongst Astros fans. I think it would be a travesty not to mention George Springer's departure. What an absolute legend for the Houston Astros. Can you just sum up what it's like playing with him and what he's like as a teammate and as a man? Oh, God. I don't know if we have enough time today about that. Yeah. Uh, George, I mean, Georgie is probably, you know, the one guy that comes to the field and he has always got a smile on his face and he just... You know, having him as a teammate and being around him was was truly a joy. And um, you know, I, I obviously wish him all the success in Toronto. And and the Blue Jays definitely got a, a very valuable leadoff hitter now. Yeah. Um, but to have him, he or to play with him, and you know, he'll definitely be missed in Astros uniform. But you know, having that guy walk in and out of the clubhouse and and on and off the field with you was. It was definitely a treat, and I don't know what he's going to do without Mike since Mike uh, signed back. With yeah, <laughs> both of them are going to be lost without each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to say, as much as George Springer is going to be disappointed not to have Michael Brantley with him, I think I speak for all Astros fans. They'll be listening to this that we are absolutely over the moon and ecstatic to have Michael Brantley staying after just a matter of two or three hours earlier it looked like he was also following Springer over to the Blue Jays for him to stay how big is that for this team because that veteran experience and what he gives to the offense you can't replicate that that's special yeah he's just one of those guys he's a, he's a professional hitter um every single bat he is going to and, and pitching against him in the AL Central for a lot of years, you know, he he will just always grind out at bats against you. And I always compare him to Joe Maurer. Um, you know, he's just somebody who's who's comfortable being in an O2 count, and that's a scary thing for a pitcher. Um, so to have him in our lineup is definitely a big boost. Uh, so I'm excited he's coming back, and and I can't wait to you know see him and. 
and talk to him when we get down to spring training for sure. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to seeing his 2021, hopefully over 162 games. That's definitely a reason to be optimistic, which I think is really the sort of focus which we should be looking at because we've got Jordan Alvarez returning and what a monster he can be, hopefully with a pair of working knees this time. It will be, uh, it'll be fantastic to see him doing his thing like he did in 2019 in his first year. And hopefully off the back of an explosive postseason, Jose Altuve having his own resurgence will be something special to watch as well. I'm really excited to see what he can give. And obviously you've got that group of rookie pitchers. I think there are lots of reasons now to look at this next year as an opportunity to go a long way and, uh, and try and hopefully go one better than what happened in 2020. How are you feeling about how the year's going to look for the club? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm excited, you know. Um, you know, like I said, with Framer and, and how he threw this past year and, um, you know, with the young guys that we have coming into the bullpen on top of the veteran guys that we're bringing in, um, pretty much having the same core of infield and um, mixing in uh, Mike and Tuck out in, out in the outfield. I think, you know, we're going to be a solid team. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to play a full 162 game with this, with this team. It's going to be really fun to watch. Big time. I think the West is wide open. If we can get something going fairly early on, I think there's an opportunity to really lay a marker down in the West. I think it's going to be very interesting looking at that AL East now. I mean, that's potentially looking like a free-for-all between the Yankees and the Rays. And then the Blue Jays have now got with Springer there as well um, and an exciting young core of players at their end. God knows how that's going to pan out. But I think in terms of the Astros, yeah, we have a season ahead of us which we should really be treating as an opportunity to do some real damage. I mean, I think the experience that the youngsters gained, particularly in October and going so close to getting to the World Series, will set them in really good stead for going forward. I would imagine that would light a fire under most of them to say, right, we can, you know, we've got that taste. We can do even more. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I think it's going to be, um, you know, a, a lot of guys are, we're not satisfied with last year. And, and I think, no. I think it's going to be one of the things where everybody's going to be definitely eager to get back to, to the World Series. So, um, it's it's going to be fun seeing uh, how hungry guys are coming into spring training. Definitely. One last word on that Astros 2020 season. I still can't really get my head around how we were 0-3 down in that ALCS with the way those first three games went. It was sometimes things are just not meant to be. And hopefully this year we can find ourselves in, in a position where things go more our way at the sort of business end of the, of the postseason because that was fairly extraordinary watching that. Sort of finishing off a few things. Growing up, you're a Dallas native. I have to ask this question. Did you grow up as a Rangers fan? I did. Um, you know, I, was, I know I was a. Uh, <laughs> it's a big Michael Young fan and a, a Pedro mm-hmm. Rodriguez fan. Obviously Nolan Ryan, um, but Michael Young. I you know I loved watching him play for the Rangers, and it was uh, it was really fun to you know eventually pitch against him in the big league. So that I mean, obviously like growing up this in this area, I was a Rangers fan. You can't yeah. get it. <laughs> No, that's fair enough. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about players who inspired you growing up. I spoke to Anoli Paredes about this sort of same thing from his perspective from the Dominican Republic. So it's always nice to hear different players coming up in different areas and, and what kind of inspires them. Was there a moment when you were growing up when you kind of realized this, you know, I can I can do this? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I was younger, my dad said, you know, he's like, if you if you practice hard enough, you can be there. You know, and, and I, I remember sitting there watching actually Michael Young play in the play in the All Star game, and um, you know, I was just like, man, I can I just got to work hard, I'll get there. So, <clears throat> you know, they definitely uh, helped me to get to that point. But I think that's when you know, just watching a 
an all-star game in the middle of the summer. I, I just, I really wanted to be a professional baseball player. And, you know, I've always played baseball growing up, but I just remember watching that game in particular and being like, I, I think I can do this. So if that answers your question. Definitely. I think that's interesting to hear. A few quick hits to end with, really. I was listening to a podcast which you were on back in 2019. It's with a friend of yours, Kevin Mahalik. It's always something too close to call. And you went through a few of your favourite ballparks. For anyone who hasn't listened to that, I just wanted to hear maybe your three favourite ballparks that you like pitching in, maybe your three least favourite. I don't want to sort of give away any secrets to, t- to teams that might want to be able to target you, but like just wonder what your thoughts are on like favourites, least favourites, and then also maybe three favourite cities as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I definitely love pitching in Seattle. Um, Mm -hmm. I just love that field. I think it's just a really cool um, atmosphere to where, I guess, for a bullpen aspect because those fans are literally right on top of you. If they really wanted to, they could reach out and grab you. Um, I always thought that was cool whenever I was a fan, you know, as a young kid and being that close to somebody who could throw a baseball uh, that hard and you can actually hear the, the sound of the baseball. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, I always, you know, you got to always like playing in New York. There's really nothing else like it. Um, and I guess my other one, I think it's a tie between Fenway. And I, and I, I always loved playing in Minnesota um, just for the sheer fact that the summers are absolutely gorgeous there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not 150 yeah. degrees. So I love it's a beautiful stadium. I love that city. The people there are great. Um, so I, I always enjoyed playing in Minnesota, but definitely those are probably my top top four. I don't know my my least favorite. I mean, I don't I don't think really anybody likes playing in Oakland. Um, you know, I, as a pitcher, I like it because it's a big field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you got those you know, huge foul areas. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge and. When the um, when fans are actually allowed, you know, to be in that stadium, it is this past year. I know it would have been extremely loud, yeah. um, and that's always a fun atmosphere. Uh, but um, probably like just Oakland, and and probably that'd probably be my only one. I was just like, I just you know, I can't. I love the mountain there, though. I mean, the field itself is great. I just think the stadium is kind of run down. That's pretty that's much fair it. enough. Yeah, you mentioned something on the other podcast about which really interested me with the differences in the mounds actually in different ballparks. I was completely unaware of that, and uh, as a viewer from afar, and I guess that's something which really opened my eyes. You've mentioned about got like a sort of red mound at Fenway Park, is that correct? And then you've got like a kind of granite one in New York, and then a, a very hard one in Texas. Is that I think there's the, the points which you raised, and I guess what's your preference in terms of the type of mound that you you get? And that's a kind of strange question, but the fact that you mentioned it kind of makes me wonder that yeah i mean it it is kind of weird because even in houston uh the, the mound in houston is different than the mound in texas uh yeah obviously the mound in texas when they had the the open stadium if you you know how it gets 100 and plus degrees there so by the end of the game when i'm usually coming to the game in the seventh eighth or ninth inning the mound yeah. pretty torn up but you go up further north to you know, Boston or, or New York or Toronto, um, those mounds, usually the clay stays a lot more moist and they can hold their, hold their dirt a lot better. And, um, it's, you're not sliding all over the mound. The mound's not all beat up, but Mm. different. I don't know. It's, it's always interesting. It's always a conversation in the bullpen of, Oh, I never liked playing there. I never liked 
I never liked it because that mound was too flat or that mound was too big or whatever. And like hitters are the same way. We're like, oh, I don't like going to Oakland. That mound's too, too big. Or I don't like going to, to Texas because the mound's too flat. You know, it's just, it's always a topic of conversation throughout the clubhouse and, and in the bullpen. So um, you fans and, and players are alike in that aspect too. <laughs> so it's always, everybody's always curious of what stadium and what mound they like to throw on. No, and it's interesting to hear that. I think it's something which, like I said, I just hadn't ever really considered it. And I guess it's kind of silly not to because, yeah, every ballpark is different. And with every ballpark being different, of course, not just the field dimensions, but you're naturally going to have different mounds as well. So that's yet another detail to, to kind of factor in. I'd like to ask guests on the show this. How much awareness do you guys have of international fans? Because naturally, I'm speaking to you from London in the UK. And on Twitter, particularly, I've been sort of leading a, a kind of charge to connect as many Astros fans as possible over the years. I've been a fan for 20 years, been on Twitter doing what I do as Astros Fans UK for about three and a half. Managed to amass over 150 Astros fans in the UK, numerous others around the world, and putting together a uh, like a global Astros fan map. How much awareness do you guys in the club have of fans overseas? You know... Not a whole lot, but I will say that there will be, you know, you'll get a, an envelope in your, in your box that'll be from, you know, uh, Japan and there'll be a pl- wow. a fan that'll, that'll write from you is, um, you know, I really enjoy watching you play, especially all the way from out here. Um, but I've never gotten a, a letter or, I mean, a card to sign from, from the UK, but it is cool to see how, you know, hopefully baseball keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and it keeps growing elsewhere um you know max kepler who came from germany uh, mm-hmm. i always yeah. thought it was interesting with him and how he you know i mean he's an unbelievable uh outfielder and now you know he didn't exactly come from a, a baseball producing country <laughs> not at all yeah yeah so i think i think the more nationalities that we get into baseball i think the bigger the game can grow and um Hopefully we can start getting some some guys from from London. I think that'd be. I mean, we have oh, man. from all that over. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I mean, uh, yeah, we had the London series here with the Yankees and the Red Sox back in 2019, and even as a, a non-Yankees or Red Sox fan, it was an extraordinary experience to see fans of all 30 major league teams congregating on mass. We had, I think, well, it was a sellout, but the 60,000 seat stadium had at least 50,000 in on both days. It was the kind of goosebumps moment and uh, pinch yourself moment which we've been dreaming of for many years as fans from uh, across the seas and it was just something which we'd love to replicate unfortunately the sort of sequel to that which was set for last year between the Cubs and the Cardinals naturally got postponed or, or, or cancelled even because of the pandemic and we're, we're hoping that Major League Baseball sees fit in as part of the kind of international expansion program to come back here one day I think that they'll probably be looking to to go to to Germany or the Netherlands or, or maybe Italy as well I know there, there's a hotbed of baseball fans in all three of those countries and obviously you've got the World Baseball Classic as well so you've got lots of different avenues to expanding the great word of baseball so to speak and uh, we love watching it from here and we'd love to be able to kind of have that input if, if you can let the guys know when you get a chance that you certainly do have some very dedicated Astros fans over in, in the UK particularly we, we would love to let you guys know that because we put a lot of effort in and love what you guys do long may it continue just before finishing a couple of last things this podcast that I do is in association with a Houston based sports media group that started called Apollo it's been set up by Houston sports fans to represent the city and what's really a coastal dominated baseball scene and sports scene in general providing video content 
content, blogging, merchandise, etc. You had Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers last year wearing the H-Town versus Everyone merchandise from Apollo. Is that something which you're aware of at all? And if not, definitely go and check out their website, ApolloHOU.com. Yeah, I, I'm not aware of them, but I definitely will. I mean, I always see Carlos and Lance walking around with some some cool shirts and I always ask them, but they never give me any. So I think they're being bad teammates, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> if you need any, honestly, if you if you want any, just yeah, let us know and I'll be more than happy to speak to the guys there to get you some cool stuff because they have got some great, great designs there and we'd love to see sporting that like they were. Very last thing, what are your three favourite career games? It doesn't have to be for the Astros. And then finally, a funny Astros moment that perhaps we wouldn't have heard of. Oh man, my... My three favorite game, I guess my my debut. Um, yep. You know, I think. I mean, obviously that was extremely special for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first win, and I guess my record. Um, those were probably my three three games that like will really, you know, yeah, stick with you. Yeah, and sort of be the ones that you'd kind of look back on with a great degree of pride once your career is all said and done, which hopefully won't be for some time. But to to tell you a story, man, I. Man, I'm gonna have to think of one. I don't have one. Oh, <laughs> feel, feel free to let loose any story, any story you like. Anything. I think people would love to hear these kind of things. I do. I do always enjoy watching Reddick wear Miles Straw out. Miles Straw is is like everybody's little brother on the team. So, <laughs> but he and he takes everything in stride, which is which is really great and. You know, Miles's locker was not too far from mine, and and Reddick's was all the way at the very end. And you know, I'd be sitting there talking with Red, and all of a sudden, Red would just be like, "You know, I really feel like having a having a bottle of water right now, or a, a Dr Pepper." Miles, go get me a Dr Pepper. <laughs> and you just see Miles all the way from across the locker, and he just dips his head down, and you know, it just just I guess just being around you know those two guys and how yeah. You know, it's it's just the veteran, you know, welcoming in the rookie and wearing him out a little bit. And it was always really funny because Red played that role to a T and it was it was extremely funny to watch. So, um, you know, Red's going to be missed in that clubhouse for sure. But I'll make sure somebody still keeps wearing miles out. So <laughs> <laughs> look forward to hearing the stories from uh, from either from you or him in, in the future. I can visualize that already. That's yeah, that, that is funny. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ryan. I wish you all the very best with the rest of your off-season. I hope you get the chance to play 162 games this year. And uh, I can't thank you enough for spending the time today. And I hope we can catch up sometime later this year. No problem. Hopefully we get a chance to come play out in London. Would love to eventually, like, probably oh, man. here with you or something. I think that'd be really cool. Oh, I can't even say how much I would love that to happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great season. No problem. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thanks. Honestly, that was one of my very favourite conversations I've had on the show so far. A truly insightful look at many facets of the game of baseball today, both on and off the field from a Major League player's perspective. Ryan Presley comes across as one of the most laid-back, yet focused and level-headed guys you could imagine. It is easy to see how these qualities would be very useful for a reliever in Major League Baseball. I loved hearing about his working relationship with Martin Maldonado in particular, plus how he has adapted to the analytics-heavy Astros setup. The enthusiasm he showed when talking about Michael Brantley staying with the club outlines what an important move that was for the Astros to make, and I really like the positivity Presley has towards the Astros' chances in 2021, just like an early Paredes last week. Presley has been a real credit to the Astros since joining the club, and long may that continue. 
Having the chance to get his view on what it is like to be a reliever and the many levels of unpredictability that entails was fascinating, so much so that I can even forgive him for being a Rangers fan. Ryan Presley isn't on social media, but you know what? With how things can be on there at times, I don't really blame him. I have a great deal of respect for anyone in the spotlight that can stick to that in the modern age. That's it for episode 6. Please make sure to follow me on Twitter at AstrosFansUK and on Instagram as UKAstrosFans, plus on Facebook as George Martin. Look out for the orange and navy Astrofied Union Jack display pic. Do get in touch with me if you have any Stros Across the Globe questions. You can also email me at AstrosFansUK at gmail.com. Make sure that you please also follow my guys Apollo over in Houston at ApolloHOU on Twitter and ApolloHOU on Instagram. All Houston, all original. Check out the Apollo merch store and pick yourself up one of the awesome designs on offer. And if you make a purchase from Apollo, then use that code ASTROS-UK to get yourself a little discount. As always has to be said, a huge thank you for listening to Stros Across the Globe. Please subscribe, rate and leave a review. Your support means everything. It really does. And once again, I've got yet another very exciting guest indeed that I'm working on for episode 7. So keep an eye out for that. I look forward to having you all with me again. And remember, wherever you are across the globe, let's go Stros.